To harvest a crop, the land must first be prepared. Then elements are added to enrich the soil. At that point, the ground is tilled and seeds are planted. In a similar way, healthy culture begins with open hearts, ready to receive the seed of God's character that he has for each of us. Then with care, growth, and time, his fruitful culture is ready for harvest. John 15, 8 says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. So let us prepare the soil of our hearts to receive what God has for us, so that we may bear much fruit for his glory. Well, good morning. Boy, it's good to see you. I missed you. And uh, it's been quite a summer. It really has. And uh, it is good to be. I love this weekend, uh, not just because we're going to eat hot dogs and have dessert afterward, but I love it because this is the one time in the year at North Shore that all of our services have come together in, in one, one time. That's the name tags. You're going to see people and probably meet some folks that you don't get to see very often. And I love that uh, about this. I just hope I remember how to do what I do. Uh, I haven't done this for a few weeks. And I, uh, I want to say thanks to the fresh voices that we've been hearing during our August family month. Uh, they did an awesome job. Didn't they do a great job? The young guys that... Uh, we're preaching and sharing, and they just, they, they were amazing. But, uh, but I, man, I just, I loved it. I feel a little bit like Peter on the Mount of Transfiguration. I don't want to come down off of this mountain right now. Let's just stay here, all right, and let's just do it this way. But, um, but we know that this is kind of the gun going off. It's the beginning of, of a new season. Uh, you know, some of you have trickled out, you know, know that uh, our family's been going through quite a bit, a lot of change and transition. We welcomed a new grandson into our family, uh, little Leo Knowles. Uh, that's one of my favorite pictures. That's little Finley, my granddaughter, and she's holding Leo there. And then uh, Annette and I in the hospital when he was just born, we, we gathered them all together. So these are the five, five grandkids. <laughs> That's a quiverful. And some of you know that we got another one on the way in October, uh, Allie, and then another one in November. <laughs> and so they're, they're kind of stacked up there, but uh, we, we are excited about it. And just looking forward to, to what the Lord has uh, in the coming weeks. Uh, these are going to be some exciting days. We, uh, we're going to start a new series today, and we're going to be taking our Bibles and looking at Matthew chapter 13. Uh, uh, today, uh, in just a few moments, you got some notes that are in your hand, but uh, wanted to wanted to say a prayer for uh, for just this time, but also remembering those uh, who are in the path of a storm that is coming, and probably in the next few days, a lot of people's lives are going to be changed and altered, probably forever. Uh, regarding uh, where, where that lands. This morning, got up to the news and they were interviewing the owner of Waldo's Restaurant in Vero Beach. And that was one of my favorite spots. It's right on the, right on the coast. And, and he was just talking about how they're preparing and how they've weathered these things before. But um, we just don't know what's there. But I'd like us to pray for them, um, as well as the needs that are here in the congregation, as well as our hearts as we open ourselves up to hear his word today. So can we do that? Lord, we just thank you uh, for the privilege it is whenever we come to these times and, and to hear your word. We thank you for your word. We thank you that that it is alive, that it's sharper than a two-edged sword, and we open ourselves up to it today. 
We pray that you will speak to us exactly in the place that you want to to change us and transform us. And so we submit ourselves to that. God, today we would just call upon your sovereign name to uh, watch over those that are in the path of this storm. Uh, we, We learn lessons through the storms. We understand that. But we just pray that your mercies would fall upon those and perhaps even to divert this storm away from, from land. Uh, we, we would trust you, God, that whatever, whatever happens, that folks will keep their eyes upon you and trusting you. So we lift them up to you, as well as even our congregation. Lord, we're, we're in a special season right now, and we just pray that your protective hand would be over us. I pray over the leadership. Pray over Scott, Lord, as he's, uh, as he's emerging um, as, as leader of this great congregation. And we just trust you, God, that uh, we're going to see your hand all over the place and to give you the praise and the glory for what you're doing. And so we submit ourselves to that and to all these requests today, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You know, um, we're going to, as I said, start a new series you saw kind of from the trailer. It's, uh, it's entitled Good Soil. Uh, how do you create a great culture uh, in order to nurture the fruitfulness, the growth that, that God is expecting uh, from us? So we're going to spend the next several weeks, the month of September, kind of on that theme. And, um, uh, you know, the first, first thing is you probably wonder, well, why would we want to talk about culture? And I want to suggest to you that everything that we are And in fact, everything that we're not is probably related back to the culture that we have developed here in this life together. And as we pay attention to that, we understand how important it is. Organizations obviously understand how it is. Some of you have heard the name of an organizational uh, kind of guru, uh, Peter Drucker, and he famously said, culture eats strategy for lunch. Meaning that, you know, we can come up with all of our plans and all of our ideas, but if they fall upon bad soil or a bad culture, nothing's ever going to happen. And I don't know if we've ever really intentionally looked at that uh, here at North Shore, but we're going to be talking about that uh, the next several weeks together. Um, I kind of wanted to start off to use an illustration, and I'm going to give credit where credit's due. Uh, this week, Wednesday, Scott and I had the opportunity to address our academy, who's getting ready to launch their, their new year. So all the teachers, all of our staff was together, and when Scott got up there to share, he shared an illustration. And man, I just, I just stood back and I thought, wow, that is one of the most common things I've heard, but yet I heard a freshness to it. And so I went up to him and I said, Scott, are you going to use that in one of the messages coming up? And he said, nope. And I said, well, I am. <laughs> uh, that's what preachers do. They steal. <laughs> but I had, him, I had him send a link uh, to the National Geographic article, and it all has to do with a caterpillar miraculously turning itself into a butterfly. And it seems that just recently the science has been such to where they can really kind of get inside the cocoon and get inside of what really is happening there. Now, we just observe it. You can see the picture, and all of us can recognize this. And I'm I'm borrowing the words from this National Geographic writer, and he says, within the chrysalis, that's that shell on the outside, an inching cylindrical eating machine remakes itself into a beautiful flying creature that drinks through a straw. I thought that's beautiful, isn't it? 
and you think about the miracle that takes place. I've been fascinated since a kid. Most of us have. Remember in probably kindergarten or first grade, they probably brought in a moth or, you know, and said, well, how, here's how it happened. The caterpillar kind of put, builds this cocoon or the chrysalis, it's called. It's, it turns into a pupa, not poopy, but pupa, <laughs> P-U-P-A. And, and, and you wonder what happens. Essentially, what this article went on to say is it literally digests itself and becomes kind of this soup inside that, that frame of the chrysalis. And what you don't see is there are these latent cells that all have meaning attached to them. Some of them might be an eye, some of them might be an antenna, some of them might be a wing, but they've been sitting in this soup. And until that, that that environment begins to, this high-protein environment begins to in, inactivate those, those uh, cells, all of a sudden, boom, they begin to explode, they begin to multiply, and what was sitting there latently now is beginning to realize its full potential. So they soon turn into eyes and antennas and, and wings, only to fly off as a beautiful butterfly. And why do we share that? Because here's what I want to suggest to you. This is one of the most beautiful illustrations of the church that I can think of. The church is like the chrysalis. It's like that, that, uh, that boundary that is set. It's, it's a setting in which um, all of this happens. The soup that we're describing here is the culture. And it's within that culture that it, in, it activates those latent cells. Now, the latent cells are you. Every one of you here that have called the name of Christ, that the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, he has put something inside of you that you do not have naturally. And I suspect there's a few of you here today that have been coming to church for a long time, and, and maybe you would be best described as a latent cell, that you've never realized that full potential that God has for you. Why is the culture important? Because I'll tell you what, like Scott said, he said if you sliced it open while it was still in that soup phase, it would just spill out and nothing would ever happen. But because that culture has been created, all of a sudden those cells come alive, they begin to multiply, and they begin to realize everything that they were meant to be. And that's what our goal is. That's what the church's goal is, is to help us to become everything that the Lord intended us to be. We talk a lot about around here, about growth and about maturity and, and rising up, but, but here's what we're coming to appreciate. A lot of this is contingent upon the culture that we've created. Do we have a culture here at North Shore that is going to you know, kind of fan that, that spark into a flame, that is going to take those latent cells and help them to become uh, eyes and antennas and wings and fly as you were meant to be? All right? So here, here's the question. How do then you create that, that, uh, that culture? What does it take? Culture is essential. It's transformative. And, uh, and we, we need to think about that. And so that's why the title we're talking about is Good Soil, because, uh, again, from an agricultural setting, you're talking about cultivating a, an environment, a soil that is going to be receptive to the seeds. How, how do you do that? I gave some thought to this. I thought, you know, organizations and communities and, and even churches, 
usually if they want to impact culture, they're going to do so intentionally. It's not just haphazard. If it does, we'll default to just soup, and it'll remain that way. So what do cultures do? If we go back biblically, do you remember the occasion when Joshua and all the children of Israel crossed the Jordan River and what they did on the other side? They set up some stones, and, and they, there were 12 stones, and they set them up, and they said, whenever somebody sees those, what are they going to be reminded of, of what God did here? They were symbols. If you're in a Jewish family today, a mezuzah, you ever heard of a mezuzah? It's a little cylinder, and it's got scriptures from Deuteronomy, like Deuteronomy 6, about the value of teaching your children and, and living your life on the Word day and night. And if that symbol is over the doorpost of a, of a Jewish home, it's basically said, saying our culture is one where we value the Word of God. That's what we're about. We're going we're gonna to live our lives on the Word of God. Symbols, you know. Uh, here's one that you probably uh, have all at least seen before but might not have appreciated. Uh, here's a picture of a totem pole, all right? Look at that. Now, we've seen those. Now, a lot of times you wouldn't know what do those, what do those symbols really mean. And from what I understand, in a Native American culture, those totem poles are going to be predominantly fit within the tribe so that everybody on a, on a regular basis, daily basis, they're going to see those. And if you were just kind of driving by, you probably would never know their meaning. But let me give you an example. Here's a little sketch. And you've got certain figures that you can see there. Can you pick them out? There's an owl. Uh, there is a bear. There's a fox. There's a salmon. Uh, okay, so a deer, yeah. If you saw an owl, what do we know the owl for? Wisdom. Okay, so that's a value that they're, they're basically saying. We value wisdom. We're looking toward wisdom. If you were a bear, what is a bear known for? It's strength. Okay, we're strong as a bear. Uh, you're cunning as a fox. And the salmon that, that is there. The perseverance. So how would that work? If that totem pole was in the middle of a village... They're basically saying, this is who we are. This is who we're aspiring to be. And so every day they would go by that. Now let's take, for example, if a teenager got sideways and he said, I don't want to live here anymore. It's too hard. Well, the elder from the tribe might take him and walk him out to that totem pole, and he'd show him the picture of that salmon. And a reminder, you know what? We're called to be persevering like a salmon. It goes upstream. It goes against everything against it, but it's determined to get to the goal, even to the point where it lays its life down, right? So he probably would instruct him. And so I kind of wanted to use this imagery to remind you, even here at North Shore, in some respects, we have totems like this of symbols or, or things that we have come as a community to believe. Now, I'm going to be the first to admit we probably haven't done a, a good job being creative to create a pole. Now, I'm thinking maybe somebody out here has the creativity to take these things and turn them into some kind of a symbol that, that might even be a better reminder that all of us could, could see visually that could help to aspire us toward those. But at North Shore, we might just call them our core values. And what are they? Can I just remind you? In fact, you'll see them on posters, all right? That may be the best we do is just to 
verbalize those out front, but here they are. There are four of them. Call them your core four values, okay? Here's the first one, is abiding in Christ. This is in your notes, all right? You want to write this down in case you haven't heard this. The first value that we, that we elevate, the, that we want our culture to be about, is abiding in Jesus Christ. John 15 says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And so we know anything of value or of fruitfulness is going to be uh, connected to the vine, right? It's connected to Christ. And so that plays itself out in our relationships, in, in, um, in our, our growth, in our maturity, because he says this is the key to being fruitful. Uh, we know that abiding in Christ is going to rest upon our, our even spiritual disciplines like prayer and about worship. We're going to be talking about that next week as a, as a key element of our culture here, a culture of worship. Uh, he talks about uh, the obedience to the word, that our love for the Lord, we say, oh, we love you, God. But he says, if you don't obey my word, then, then oh, do you really love me? And so these are the things that are connected to abiding, and this is what we're trying to, to uphold. The second one is loving relationships. And that's where our, our life together comes, our group life in particular, our, our life groups, is to where now in a smaller group environment, you know people, they know you, you share your burdens, your struggles, and love needs to be the hallmark of those environments. That love is what he's called us to. It's gonna start in the home and to encourage that and to help, help to um, you know, kind of resource you in, in the home so that those can be true in the church, in our life together, and then even as it goes out into the community, that love might be the mark of what we do. The third one is unity. And I just have to say, in the years that I've been here, this is something that's just been inherent here at North Shore. It's been among our leaders that they've always, always put unity at the very high priority. That unity shows up in deferring to others. It's not men in your way, it's, it's kind of in a humility that is marked. And that's been another value even within that, that that our leaders have often talked about. And for that reason, sometimes we... Sometimes we take longer to do things that, that might be disruptive or even re result in conflict. We pause, we think about that because we're so concerned about the unity of our church and our life together. But that, that's a value that we want to uphold because we know that, don't you know that the testimony of the church of Jesus Christ so often is destroyed by disunity, isn't it? By conflicts and disruption. And so uh, that, that is our third value. And the fourth one is, is integrity. We want to be about authenticity. We want to be genuine. We want to be transparent. We want to model the things we talk about. And so if we're speaking about a value or something, we better own that. We better model that in our own lives. And I just remind you guys that the season we're in right now, here at North Shore, we talk about the value of reproducing, of raising up leaders, of, of you know, kind of passing things on. And that's one of the reasons why I feel God has inspired us, you know, to, uh, to enter into this season of transition and do it a little bit different than most churches do, to where we've identified the leader beforehand and that we have this kind of on-ramping period. And what I've been praying and have been for quite some time is that we can model what we are about is, is basically fanning the flame of that next generation of leadership. And so that's what we're... 
we're trying to do. And so integrity is all part of this. We try to manifest that in our finances, um, you know, in the way that we conduct ourselves, that we're the same on the outside as hopefully you're going to see on the inside and vice versa. We're the same on the inside as you might see on the outside. That's what we're striving for. We're not perfect in any of these areas, but I'll tell you, maybe there's a great uh, uh, creative person here that can come up with a symbol, and maybe we'll build a pole, all right, and just put uh, those four things on that pole, that that's what we want to be about. That's the culture we're trying to create, okay? And so here's the deal, is, is, you know, the best illustration is what Jesus himself talked about, which was more kind of in an agricultural setting, which is the soil being receptive to the seeds. And so that's where I wanted to spend a good part of our, our uh, morning is in this parable that Jesus shared. So today we're going to be talking about that. In the coming weeks, like I said, we're going to talk about uh, worship. Uh, we're, you know, when you think about cultivation, it's, it's a derivative of the word culture, right? To cultivate. What does cultivate mean? To plow or to turn or, or to uh, hoe, Right? Okay, you got that picture in your mind? Some of you feel like we are in a plowing phase right now because everything seems to be changing pretty rapidly. Do you, do you guys feel that? And it, it feels like you're getting churned. You feel like you're getting plowed up to re, be receptive to what God has to do. And I want to give you a heads up because in three weeks, we're going to devote a service to just this subject about the plowing or the, the transition or the changes that we go through in our life. And I've invited a special friend, John DeWall, who is the founder, and you've heard me speak about it, liminal space. A liminal is like a threshold from one room to the next, so it's about transitions from this stage to this stage. And John is gonna be joining me uh, as, a, as a kind of a co-teaching that weekend, and you're gonna get to know him in his heart and, we're, and essentially the theme is, how do you negotiate through the wilderness, the wilderness times or the transitional times? And then here's what we're going to do. John's going to come back on Saturday, the following Saturday, the last Saturday of September, and he is going to do a workshop for North Shore. Uh, and that's the title of Negotiating Through the Wilderness, How Do You Guide Your Life Through Times of Transition? And this can be through grief, this can be through career changes, this can be through retirement or uh, life stages, any number of scenarios. But, uh, but I think it's life-changing, and so I want to provide this uh, to you. There's going to be a, a small fee. Uh, you can sign up now on CCO, but this week it's going to be up on our website. That's going to happen the last Saturday of September. And it's going to be limited space. So if this is touching you, if this is resonating where you're at, uh, you may want to get your name in there and uh, be involved in that. So that's kind of where we're going. Today, let's go to Matthew 13, all right? Jesus shared a story. It's one of those that, uh, that's in three of the synoptic gospels, we call them. And whenever there, one, one thing that happen a miracle or a story or a parable is in all three. I always kind of pay special attention. God really wants to teach us something. And, and I want, want to choose Matthew's gospel. Let me just kind of give you the backdrop. It says that same day, Jesus, this is chapter 13, verse 1. Jesus went out of the house and he sat beside the sea and great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and he sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach and he told them many things in parables, saying, well, a sower went out to sow. 
And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path. And the birds came, and they devoured them. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up. And since they had no depth of soil, when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. And other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up, and they choked them. And other seed fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So he shares this story, and the disciples, as you well know, they, sometimes they just didn't get it, right? And this was one of those times, and they pull him aside and say, why, why are you talking this way? And then he kind of, in general, says, I, I share these parables because those who are simple, those, those who have a, cry, uh, a childlike heart, they're the ones that are going to get it. Those that think they know it all, they, they, sometimes they just don't get it. But he goes on, mercifully, and he explains to them. And I want to skip down to now verse 18. Hear the parable of the sower. And for us today, I want to quickly... I want to quickly point out the four things that he describes here, the four scenarios he's describing here. Again, in the backdrop of culture, good soil is what we're striving for, right? And so he's giving three illustrations that are a detriment to good soil. And then the fourth one, of course, is, is what we're ideal is, is it's going to produce a great crop. So could I pass on to you at least what we might observe? What, what do we learn from this parable about what it's going to take to cultivate good soil, even here at North Shore. Now, this is going to pertain to you as an individual, your own personal heart. So you're going to evaluate your heart. But know this, a culture here at North Shore is basically the sum of its parts, isn't it? It's all of us collectively together. So this will touch you individually, but as all of us give ourselves to these considerations, you're going to find that it will contribute, hopefully, to a, a healthy, a productive a fruitful kind of culture, which is what we're striving for, all right? You ready for that? Got your notes handy. Let's go quickly through this. Here's the first thing he says, and some of us, are, I know, are familiar, but he says, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one carries, uh, excuse me, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown among the path. And what I, what I see there is what you're describing here and what it's calling us to is we have got to cultivate an open heart. We've got to cultivate an open heart. Uh, as you know, back in the time, you know, they would, they would cultivate the ground and they would make rows and the farmer would just take a bag of seed and he would just broadcast it like this. But he'd walk down these rows. So what happens to the rows? They get trampled on and essentially they get hardened, right? And he's saying some of the seed invariably is going to fall upon that hardened path. And it's not going to do anything. So what does this represent? This represents the hardened heart. The hardened heart. And I don't care what kind of potential that seed has, if it remains on a hard heart, it is never going to reach the potential that God intended. Can we agree on that? And some of us, we say, well, you know, I'm here, aren't I? Yeah, you're here, but sometimes you got to evaluate, is my heart truly open to what God wants to say to me? 
Am I teachable? And will I listen? Or do I just go, do I just go through the motions? Some of us have developed hard hearts because the contrast of this is what I would call a defensive heart. And you've got your wall set up. Maybe you've been burned in the past. Maybe you've been in experiences that, that caused you to be very, very careful and cautious. And so you take a step back and you don't want to get, get too far down there. That, that really would constitute this kind of hardness we're describing. Some of us are fearful. We're fearful of change. We're fearful of the unknown, fearful of a number of things. And that can cause a hard heart. Sometimes bitterness or resentment, pride, all these things can contribute to a path like he's describing here where the seeds are just standing there, just falling on there. And he says, here's what happens. The seed stands there and somebody comes along and snatches it. The birds will snatch it away. He likens that to the enemy himself, Satan that he comes and he'll snatch those seeds away. They never have a chance to grow. So here's the first, I think, challenge. Do we have an open heart? Do we cultivate an open heart? That's going to contribute to good soil. Here's the second one. I think we need to allocate time for God. Allocate time for God. The rocky soil, he goes on to describe this. And he's saying, verse 20, as for what was sown on the rocky ground... This is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, and yet he has no root in himself. But he endures for a while, and then when the tribulation or persecution arises on the account of the word, immediately he falls away. Okay? So he's describing, you're hearing the word, but it's going in one ear and out the other. All right? You're not real, you might receive it initially, and in fact, on the surface, everything might look good. You might look healthy. Everything might look right. You're at the right place. You're saying the right things. But the, this represents to me truly the kind of heart that is, um, you know, that is preoccupied by, by other things. Actually, in this case, there's cases where, in fact, it is superficial to where it doesn't have a chance for the roots to go down. And you won't know this until the heat comes. That's when, he says, they get scorched and they wither away. The heat represents a trial. And I can't tell you how many times over the years I watch folks and they go along and they, everything looks good, looks good, looks good, and then all of a sudden a trial comes along and they just go off the rails. And it is just a head scratcher. You're thinking, wow, you, you just thought that there was this depth. But it was when the trial came. You guys have heard me use the illustration back where I grew up in Central California. The alfalfa uh, was the most predominant crop because of the dairies and the cattle and things like that that had all, all moved into the valley. And, and in the middle of 110 degrees, in the middle of summer, here you see these beautiful dark green fields of alfalfa. Now, of course, they were irrigated, but the truth was, what I learned later, was that the alfalfa drove its roots down upwards of 20 feet down into the ground. And, and that would result in this beautiful green, uh, it's like a grass, but, but uh, the feed for the cattle. And... I, uh, I just stop and I think the, the scripture says that the righteous, the roots of the righteous will never be moved. The roots of the righteous will never be moved. 
And so Jesus is describing this, and he's just saying, listen, if, if you receive this, it's all going to rest upon the time that you spend with the Lord, the time that you spend with God. If you're skimming the surface, if it's just superficial heart that you have, that when that testing comes, the word is not going to be planted in your heart. That's what David said, I hide your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. Because he knows that as we spend time in the presence of the Lord, it's going to be that that we draw from in those times of crisis, aren't we? Quite honestly, um, you know, when, when you look at these, these scenarios, uh, Jesus is so practical because he's saying this is where we live. And so my, my challenge is, is to cultivate uh, not only an open heart, but also to allocate some time for God. Now, in a similar way, the third scenario he describes is challenging us to eliminate the weeds. He, um, he goes on and he describes this scenario. He says, as for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and, they, and it proves unfruitful as a result. This is the preoccupied heart. I said that earlier, but this is, this is a heart that is preoccupied. I think it was Socrates that said, beware of the barrenness of a busy life. And can somebody say amen to that? Yeah. And wouldn't you say that we're living in a time that that's one of the greater challenges that we have is that we are just crowding out with all of the stuff that we are exposed to, the, the technology, the mobility, the, all these things that come, up, come along our way. It, it is just preoccupying our heart. It's like weeds. It's like thorns, and it's going to choke out. Here's the casualty, friends. Listen to me carefully. If, if the Scripture says that faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God, what happens if that, that Word of God is literally being choked out by the weeds, by the, by the things in our life? Is not the greatest casualty our faith? So that when I hear folks that are in distress and they're full of anxiety and they're they're just saying, you know, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And you're thinking, where's your faith? Where's your trust in the Lord? Well, I'll tell you what, if you've allowed the, the thorns or the weeds to come about, it's going to choke out that, that faith, that word. You're not going to hear the word of God. All you're going to see is the issues that are right there. And he even gets to the point where he specifically spells three of them out, doesn't he? He says it's the worries of life, first of all, the cares, the concerns. And I'll just ask you this, what keeps you up at night? What do you think about at 3 o'clock in the morning when, when, you're, when you wake up? The worries of life. And he says, the second thing is, is the riches. Now, you might say, well, I don't have a problem with that, all right? You know? But the truth is, friends, we are rich, don't you know? And it's really, he's just saying, the stuff that we wrap ourselves, it's just stuff that, that causes concern, that we have to think, oh, we've got to take care of this, we've got to take care of that. It's just stuff. And then the third one is the pleasures. How are we going to entertain ourselves? What are we going to do to keep ourselves, you know, kind of occupied? Um, those are the things, he says, we need to be quick, careful because those are the weeds that if we allow them to go unchecked. Gardeners that are here, you guys know, does it take a lot to grow weeds in your garden? <laughs> Basically, it's all due to neglect, right? Weeds don't take any effort at all. And likewise, in the spiritual life, it's not going to take any effort to let these things uh, take hold. It's going to take much more effort to hold them and cultivate them so that our soil is going to be good. So the last one, obviously, the good soil. He's saying 
This good soil is the kind of soil that has landed on receptive soil. It's been cultivated. It has received it. He says, and for what is sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and he yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another 60, and another uh, 30. Guys, that's what we're aiming for, isn't it? Good soil. We want this to be a place of good soil where those potential cells, those potential seeds are going to grow to their full potential, become everything that God intended. And, and I, I just hope and I pray that as, as we're a part of this together, that we just trust God, that that's what's going to emerge. What he's describing here, friends, is the responsive heart. It is a person that hears the word of God. Can I ask you, do you hear God's voice? Do you? Regularly, is he speaking to you? And you say, well, I, you know, kind of, or maybe, or maybe sometime. You know, cultivate that listening ear. And then not just to hear the word, that whole parable of the house on the rock and all that, they both heard the word, but one acted on it and one didn't. That's the house on the rock versus the house on the sand. When you hear the Word of God, do you respond to the Word of God? That's, that's the environment here. And can I just say this to you guys? I know that I'm beginning to start and think of the limitations, you know, just of the short time, and so I'll probably do this more often, but I just want to say thank you to you guys because of your receptivity. I can't tell you over these years when I get to stand before you and share the Word of God, your attentiveness, your body language, everything about that. Now, occasionally one of you is falling asleep, all right? <laughs> and, and I just assume you need it worse than you need to hear me speak, all right? And so I give you a lot of grace and mercy. But on the most part, you are listening and you're attentive and, and I hear it from your questions. I hear it from your responses. And, and I want to thank you for that. I always prayed, like in the Beatitudes, he said, he said, those are blessed, you know, that are hungering and thirsting after God. They will be blessed. And I've, I've always perceived you as being a church that is hungering and thirsting for the truth, for God's word. And I thank you for that because I believe God's blessing has been directly proportionate to that. A responsive heart. How important is this? I want to close and share just a great testimony that happened just last week. Uh, as I said, we were out with our kids and, and um, lots going on in our family. Uh, my, my two daughters that are part of the music group, uh, Atlanta Story, they've been here and, you know, and share musically. Well, their husbands, Stephen and, and uh, Ben, uh, just took, took a change to a new church uh, there in Indianapolis, and, uh, and God is just doing some amazing things. It's an amazing environment. Uh, it's a large church, I mean, to the tune of 12,000, 13,000 people, uh, you know, thir 12, 13 campuses throughout Indiana, and some of us have a little aversion with the mega church, and we think, oh, well, you know, what are they, what are they compromising, Right. But the times I've been there, and I know the pastor, and they have preached the gospel. So here's what happened. My, my oldest daughter, uh, Abby, and her husband, Michael, were at another church and had been at that church for many years. And we've known, you know, Michael believes in God. He, he trusts God. He's a Christian. But he's never followed the Lord in baptism. And he always just said, I'm not quite ready, not ready yet, not ready. 
And he was in this church for, oh, goodness, eight, ten years. And I, I even took him to Israel with us last February. And when we got to the Jordan River, I thought, this is it. He's going to get baptized. <laughs> My friend Russ was kind of working him, you know, a, a little bit. And he said, I'm not ready yet. Well, Abby and Michael, because their siblings are now over there, and just because of a season, they shifted over to this church. And last Sunday, because my daughter, Allie, and her husband, Stephen, were now kind of getting enfolded in the worship uh, uh, at the main campus, we were watching online last Sunday, before we came here, about 8 o'clock in the morning, it's three hours difference, just to see Allie and Stephen. And then we just kind of continued listening, and the pastor gave one of the clearest presentations of the gospel, just straightforward. And, and these thousands of folks that are there listening to this, and then he began to go toward baptism and just say, here's the purpose about it. Here's what it's about. It's, it's obedience to the Lord. And he just began to lay this out. And Annette, literally, as we were watching this, she said, I hope my, Michael listens to this. I hope he hears this. And, and we let it go. We came to church. And on the way home last Sunday, Abby calls Annette, and she says, guess what? Michael responded in baptism. And, uh, and in fact, he was baptized by, by a guy that I've known for, for many years. But uh, just, just take a look. This was taken from the screen, so it's not that great of a video. But uh, And it was, just, it was just so cool because Allie and Stephen were leading the worship during this baptism. Seventy-five people responded in that service to baptism, to the call of baptisms. 175 in the three services. And Allie and Stephen are leading the worship, so they're on the stage having a front row seat. My daughter Anne is out there. She runs back to the back and gets my grandkids, Michael's two, two kids, Abby was there in church for the first time with little Leo. It was his first time in, a church, in church as a newborn. And they're all there to witness, witness uh, dad getting, getting baptized. And I just share this because why didn't that happen five years ago? Why didn't it happen three years ago? It was all about the culture. This was a culture that had been created intentionally to be conducive to respond to the word of God. And sometimes I, I wonder if we do a good enough job to, to, to just kind of intentionally create that kind of environment where you will be responsive to whatever God is saying. And I know that matters. And so would you pray with me for the coming weeks that as we pay attention to this environment that we get to call our church home, that we will, that we will be intentional about doing anything and everything we can to create an environment of good soil that will result in fruitfulness and salvation and obedience and growth and maturity. Amen? Amen. Amen. Why don't you stand with me? I want to pray to that end. And you know, I, w I would be remiss if we stand together and, and as our heads are bowed and I just, if some of you are here and you wandered in here, maybe you've just been coming for a few weeks and you've been seeking God and looking uh, to what he has, maybe just taking even your first steps. There's somebody in the room today, and what God is saying to you today is, 
Have you ever responded to the call of God for salvation? Jesus put it this way. He said, I'm standing like a, at a door knocking, and if you'll open the door, I'll come in into your life, into your heart, and I'll make that my home forever and ever. Have you ever done that? Have you ever responded to that call? It's amazing because when you hear the call, you'll know it. And some of you may be hearing that today. And in our prayer, I just want to give you an opportunity to, to respond to that, would you? Let's pray. Father, thank you uh, for the power of your word. Its truth uh, is, uh, is something, Lord, that, that transforms our lives. And today is one of those days where as we hear your word, we want to be a part of that. We want to be a part of a kingdom that is thriving. We want to be part of the hundredfold, Lord, to where we're seeing fruit all over the place. But we know that it's going to rest upon even us individuals and the, the hearts that we bring to you. Lord, today we pray that you will inspire us to bring to you an open heart. Lord, that we will carve out and, and allocate time with you in that relationship that you so desire from us. Today, Father, if your finger has pinpointed some weeds or thorns that have been crowding out the truth, the potential that you've called us to, God, may, may we eliminate those. May we address them and, uh, and strive, Lord, to, to be wholly focused upon you. And ultimately, Lord, we want to bring to you a responsive heart. God, if there's a person in the room today, and if this resonates with where you're at, and, and you're wondering, Pastor Ken, what would I do? What would I say? How, what, what would I pray? Maybe you could pray even along these lines as we're just bowing before the Lord, just in your heart of hearts, just say, Lord, today I bring to you my heart. I want to first ask you to forgive me of my sins. I'm so sorry for them. And I'm asking you to now come into my life and to make my heart the place where you live forever and ever. Today I give myself to you. I receive your free gift of salvation. And help me from this point on to begin to serve you with my whole life. I trust you for that today, and I thank you for your gift in Jesus' name. And God, I, I just would want to pray over those that have taken that step of faith, and it is a step of faith, we know that there's an enemy, and he's going to try to snatch those seeds out from them just as soon as they get out of here. But I pray that today those seeds will land in good soil and that we'll see a great, great um, fruitfulness unfold as a result of that decision they've made today. We love you, Lord. We thank you. Thank you for all that you're doing. And we respond to you now in our hearts through worship. We do so in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Could I just say amen? Let me just say one thing before Josh comes and closes. Baptism. If you've never been baptized, uh, we're going to be planning that probably in the next few weeks. Uh, you'll hear about it. A baptism weekend. We might even do it like they did spontaneously for those. But if that's something God has been stirring on, on you, let's take that step. That's the next step after you trust Christ as your Savior. It's an outward declaration of what he's worked on the inside. So let's talk to you about that as well. But let's go out singing today and worship the Lord, and then let's go have some fun, okay? Josh.